0: Hi, I'm Paul Shari, director of the technology program here at the Center for New American Security. And I'm joined today by our very own Elsa Kania, adjunct fellow here with the tech program at CNAS and PhD student at Harvard. Welcome, Elsa. We're going to hear talk about your new report, Quantum Hegemony. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Great
0: to be here. Um, Well, Elsa, you have done it again. Um, A year ago, you released a pathbreaking and fascinating in-depth report on Chinese advances in artificial intelligence, battlefield singularity. Um, We've gotten just tremendous feedback from people um, across the U.S. national security community on that report. Lots of interest. You're going and giving lots of talks um, to people in government and briefings on that. And here you've rolled out another in-depth report, this time on Chinese advances in quantum technologies. Bravo.
1: Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to have to launch this, and I suppose all I can say is I have a high tolerance for confusion on uh, realms of science that I find fascinating and, and have really enjoyed delving into over the past couple of years.
0: And there is probably no realm of science more confusing and counterintuitive and weird uh, than quantum technology. So let's start with, uh, when we say quantum technologies, what are we referring to? Can you give just a, a brief overview of the landscape of the kinds of things that fall into this basket?
1: Sure. So I usually start with a quote from Niels Bohr that uh, those who are not shocked when they first come across quantum theory cannot possibly have understood it. So I will uh, start off with the caveat that I am clearly not a scientist. I'm very grateful to a number of scientists in this field who have uh, answered many of my questions along the way, though any remaining uh, shortcomings are my responsibility alone. Though I've tried to get the science and technology as accurate as possible and talking through this report, but often when people hear quantum they almost think magic. But it but it is clear that these are spooky technologies, the the ones that have real world potential, but also uh, also a number of shortcomings in the near term. So a lot of excitement lately about quantum computing, which essentially leverages qubits or a quantum analog of the bit, rather than a regular bits that are just can just be zero one. A qubit is in a boat A superposition of zero and one, so it has exponentially more computing power. And a lot of excitement over uh, the approach of a milestone known as quantum supremacy, the point at which a quantum computer could outperform a classical computer, though we are still quite a ways off from having a fully functional quantum computer. Still a lot of excitement about applications ranging from synthetic biology to machine learning to uh, just about any realm in which such immense computing power could be impactful. For quantum cryptography, that's something that is uh, more feasible in the near term, particularly a technique known as quantum key distribution through which uh, uh, one-time pads or cryptographic keys can be exchanged in quantum states through entanglement. And in theory, uh, QKD or different types of quantum cryptography out there claim to provide unhackable or uncrackable encryption, though in actuality, they do have their limitations. uh, These systems can be hacked or spoofed and often... There still will be uh, shortcomings in security due to engineering challenges or human errors. So, this, far from perfect, but certainly the potential for an improvement in security and also a form of cryptography that is also uh, can serve as a shield against uh, future quantum computing. And there's also a realm of a uh, realm of science, a, a variously quantum sensing, radar, metrology, essentially using quantum properties for very precise measurements and for detection and Some of these techniques are, again, uh, happening, their development is happening less in the open, whereas for quantum computing and cryptography, there is a fair amount of commercialization going on. Some of these technologies do have more direct defense applications. For instance, uh, Chinese defense industry claims quantum radar can overcome stealth, and uh, quantum navigation could be used on future submarines. But these are also technologies that have a lot of real-world potential, though still at uh, various stages in their development.
0: You know, Quantum um, sensing was, I think, one of the areas that is least understood in the national security community. Um, I think a lot of people will have heard of quantum computing, of the effects on uh, cryptography and the potential advances in more protected quantum communications that you mentioned. But this idea of using quantum technologies for sensing, um, for more advanced forms of radar, for say detecting submarines undersea, uh, very game-changing. You can you tell us a little bit more about kind of what the the national security implications are of some of these sensing technologies?
1: Sure. So this does get into very technical territory, and I'm aware of my limitations, both as a result of the. Technicality of the topic and some of and the limits of the information available in the open source. That's okay. We won't but ask is, you to build oh, right. one
0: here at CNN. Yes, yeah, so
1: I won't uh, be just, so I won't be building one anytime soon. Right. Just tell us why it is, matters. What yeah, did, it if this happens, that.
0: what can we do with it, or what would the Chinese be able to do with this?
1: So the Chinese military claims that they're developing these technologies with the intention to overcome stealth, which would be could be a game changer. So there have been there are indications that China is very actively pursuing research on what is known as quantum radar, leveraging entanglement among photons for detection. In theory, this technology could overcome stealth and that's clearly a major motivation behind it because if given that stealth has been a major US advantage, if the Chinese military could someday field a capability to overcome it, that could could be an offset in the sense of a major US advantage. And there have been a couple of different announcements of research underway uh, undertaken by a major player in the Chinese defense industry, CETC, along with scientists from the University of Science and Technology of China, who are even even claiming that the next generation of the system could dete- detect stealth fighters or bombers, or to support the tracking of ballistic missiles and support a future Chinese missile defense capability. So this is a, again, there is always a possibility when it's difficult to verify the underlying research that some of this could be overhyped or exaggerated or even intended as misdirection. But I think we can't neglect the potential that these, that there is enthusiasm and research underway, including in the U.S. and Canada on different approaches to quantum radar. And given the amount of funding that may be going into this sort of research in the Chinese defense industry today, there is a real possibility that this sort of spooky technology could at some point be operationalized going forward.
0: And these uh, sensors also have significant implications under sea as well, right?
1: Uh, Yes. So there are some types of sensors that could potentially use for detect, be used for detection in support of future Chinese anti-submarine warfare capabilities. Though again, difficult to evaluate how far along that research is at this point. It is a focus. There's also, also research looking at uh, quantum remote sensing or ways in which quantum could be used to enhance uh, space-based reconnaissance and intelligence going forward. So again, there's a lot of yeah, a lot of research going on in the space, a lot of major investments from a number of different uh, conglomerates within the Chinese defense industry that claim to be quite actively advancing this. And it is does have the potential to, again, be a game changer if and when these sorts of technologies start to materialize.
0: So let's talk about quantum computing for a little bit. Where are we now with quantum computing technology? And is there a qubit gap? Sure. So I guess I'd say... Uh,
1: We are at the start of what I would call a marathon rather than a race for quantum computing. A lot of this research is still at an early stage, and some of the leading teams so far have been folks at places like IBM and Google, Microsoft, so a lot of major US teams, as well as startups like Rigetti that are quite uh, exploring different pathways to quantum computing. So, quantum computing, I mean, is not a singular phenomenon or technology. There are several different potential pathways depending on which type of qubit is used, whether it's uh, trapped ion qubits, superconducting qubits, or topological qubits, essentially different types of quantum computing or different uh, approaches to it being undertaken. And there's been massive commercial investments by the US private sector, increasingly by uh, major tech companies in China with uh, Baidu and Alibaba, both setting up institutes for quantum computing. One of the things that's interesting is that the U.S. uh, U.S. players have traditionally had had an advantage here, but uh, China is really going all out to push forward investments in quantum computing. And as of the past year or so, Chinese scientists have started to set world records in terms of the total number of qubits entangled. So for now, this is, in a sense, a science experiment. We are a ways away from a quantum computer that is fully usable and practical, but it is clear that... uh, given the levels of investment in China and the number of universities, as well as uh, technology companies pursuing research here, that we could see further advances going forward. And it's if this is a race, it's far too soon to call because there could be decades and decades of research to come and continued challenges of error correction, of the initial fragility of qubits, the very specialized conditions under which these systems operate. So we're a ways away from everyone having a quantum computer in their pocket, though I think... Uh, As with any complex technology, it's uh, difficult to predict how quickly it could advance. This could always be a couple decades away, or it could come much more quickly than we are expecting.
0: I mean, this is such a key point, I think, about the trend lines that we're on here. We're used to a world of seeing this incredibly rapid growth in computer processing power, in data, in bandwidth. Um, We now carry, you know, what, what 20 years ago would have been supercomputers around in our pockets. Um, but we're not seeing this in quantum computing. I mean, there's no Moore's law for qubits. We're seeing advances, but it's it's really basic science. It's incremental, but the long-term potential here is incredibly transformative, right?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think we are a ways away from uh, yeah from seeing anything like the pace of advances with Moore's law. But there are some uh, notable progress underway. So Google, for instance, has introduced the Bristlecone, Cone, a quantum computing chip that has a total of 72 qubits. So uh, getting up there and Google has claimed for a while that they are on the verge of quantum supremacy or the point at which a quantum computer could outperform a classical computer, though sometimes only in a very limited, uh, li- limited activities or a very particular problem set. Though interestingly in that case, uh, Researchers from Alibaba actually came back and claimed that Google was further away than they were said to be given some of the error rates and what they saw as continued shortcomings in their qubits. So I think there is a, definitely a, some contention and uh, despite all of the hype about quantum supremacy, there are real limitations and some some contention as to how far along we are and uh, when exactly this will start being practical. And I think one of the near-term concerns is the construction of a quantum computer that could... Uh, you, that could break encryption, and that is uh, that is a possibility. And estimates vary from a couple years to still well over a decade. But I think uh, as the as the number of qubits increases, as the sophistication of different approaches to quantum computing evolve over time, we'll I think get closer and closer to a point where this quantum computing capability could be leveraged in very impactful ways. And today, a D-Wave, which uh, uses a form of quantum annealing, which is in some respects uh, leverages similar uh, properties and is quite powerful, but is very limited in its scope of applications in terms of particular types of problems computationally. We do have, D-Wave, for instance, is in use. There are some options for quantum computing available via the cloud, but at least for now it's more of a niche area and the, the, with tremendous uh, enthusiasm for future applications.
0: So let's talk a little bit about um, quantum technology's implications for cryptography and encryption, because this is one of the clearest national security implications that we could see now, at least, uh, theoretically. So we have today a world where encryption depends upon uh, factoring uh, large prime numbers. Um, and so so using quantum computers and sort of their spooky properties of, of superposition, the idea is that you could, in theory, execute Shor's algorithm, use a quantum computer mm-hmm. to Factor these uh, large algorithms extremely. These large prime numbers extremely quickly, um, looking over all the possible spaces all at once using quantum properties, and then bam! Effectively, if you could do this, if you could reach the level where this is possible, you would sort of obliterate modern methods of encryption. Can you talk us through what, what is the the implications of this?
1: I'd say that is a real threat, but that's also a worst case scenario. So part of uh... In theory, if a if an actor, be that a company or a nation state, were to develop a quantum computer in secret without warning, then the world could be blindsided by that sort of capability and its potential to take out existing forms of encryption. At least for now, most of the, of the development underway is fairly public. Uh, major tech companies really seem to be the top players in advancing quantum computing for now, so it's likely given that this race is playing out in the open, there will be uh, some warning and there are starting to be growing concerns about such a Q-Day or two, uh, Q2K, the point at which a quantum computer has that power. And but certainly there are ways to mitigate that. And there's an, an increasing focus on switching to post-quantum forms of cryptography or quantum resistant encryption that given its structure or given the way it's designed is, would not be quite as vulnerable to quantum computing. And one of the interesting things about what China is doing, actually, with quantum cryptography and communications, is they're starting to make systemic changes to their information technology ecosystem in ways that could make them better prepared for that sort of Q day going forward. Although, of course, uh, quantum cryptography for now has a number of shortcomings. It is not; it, it is not, and may never be, perfectly secure. But it does provide that sort of shield against that future threat. So China may be may be prepared for that, and in the U.S., of course, there is a focus on developing new standards and approaches for quantum cryptography, including work undertaken by the National Institute of Standards and Technology. So there are reasons for hope that we aren't aren't facing a dire scenario here. But at the same time, if you think about the state of cybersecurity today, there are vulnerabilities out there that have been known for decades and haven't been fixed. And I think the challenges of coordination that would be required for a mm. Pretty dr- drastic shift in the ecosystem of our cryptography. That, that's what I'm concerned about. Not that this will happen. This may not happen suddenly or without warning, but will will companies and will the government take this seriously soon enough to start making the changes, including to legacy systems, in some cases still running old buggy software? And will, will there really be enough uh, concern and impetus to start to make these in some cases, dramatic changes. Given that for heavier, for instance, forms of cryptography or greater complexity, sometimes you may need to make deeper changes to the underlying infrastructure. And yeah, so it'll become a, almost a challenge of bureaucracy and coordination in terms of how to implement that sort of change in in our ecosystem. And I'm concerned that unless there is a, an awareness that uh, quantum computing is advancing, and a Q day or Q2K may be coming at some point, that there may not be enough. Uh, enough of a focus on really making those changes and question of incentives as well for companies and the government to start down that pathway. Well,
0: oh, I think that's a great point that it's gonna take time, it's gonna take cooperation across government with the private sector to make those changes, to move to more quantum resistant forms of encryption. Um, but also that you know, even if QDA is not around the corner, I'd say it's two decades off or three decades off, you know, there's this problem of people using uh, methods of breaking encryption and going back in time, right? And, mm-hmm. and uh, breaking, you know, encrypted communications that they might have stored. And even if you're looking at old, you know, communications, you could have incredibly um, sensitive information in that and, and being able to hack that, even if it's 10, 15, 20 year old information, it could still reveal sources and methods, mm-hmm. uh, agents that you still have that are working under you. So, you know, the fact that this might be someday possible does suggest we need to start moving forward sooner rather than later and figure out how to address it now.
1: Absolutely, I think that highlights the sense of urgency here. That uh, if we do assume, and again, some may some may dispute this, but if we assume that quantum computing will someday reach this stage, then we have to, as you said, start to think about ways in which today's encrypted information that may be collected and stored could be exploited to that end in the future. And if China. Is making a national transition as they seem to be, and making sure that all of their or a significant proportion of their sensitive data and information within the government and the military is protected by uh, by post-quantum or quantum-resistant forms of encryption in the near term. That could create an asymmetry going forward, or there could be a diff- could be divergence where China is clearly and uh, partly in response to the Snowden incident and how that really highlighted an awareness of their vulnerability and uh, focus on developing indigenous technology. China's moving quickly in that direction and that and that could, uh, could have dividends down the road, even if these technologies are limited in the meantime.
0: So one of the things that comes through in your report across all of these different quantum technology areas is the degree to which China is making a national level effort. They're establishing labs. They're, they're doing big uh, experiments, moving the ball forward on communications, on computing, and they're putting a lot of money into this. Can you just give us on a high level a sense of uh, China's sort of national effort that they're putting into moving the ball forward on quantum technologies?
1: Sure, so it is quite striking that uh, as of the 13th five-year plan, the Chinese government has launched a mega project or a major project on quantum computing and cryptography, and which really highlights the elevation of these technologies as a national priority at a time when Xi Jinping is is advancing an innovation-driven strategy for development, both economic and uh, in terms of military modernization. So these technologies have been highlighted as a priority at the level of Xi Jinping himself, and do appear to be receiving billions in funding. And of course, much of this is not new and support in research in China for quantum science does date back uh, decades, uh, including under some of their earlier S&T plans, but it, there has been a pretty drastic ramping up of, uh, of of investments and both in the private sector as well as government funding for long-term basic research. And one notable element of this has been the establishment of a national laboratory for quantum information science, which is on track to become the world's largest quantum research facility. It's on track to be completed by 2020. And uh, Pan Jianwei, one of China's top quantum scientists, among others who are engaged in this project, have highlighted that in the research it will undertake and it will include that of immediate use to, China, to the Chinese military going forward. So clearly a laboratory that will have a long-term and quite ambitious agenda of research and development, including that with military applications and could receive sizable funding. So apparently over 1 billion to start and plans for a further nearly 15 billion over the next uh, five plus years. And and beyond some of the funding for different projects through different S&T plans and military funding, there also are e- even initiatives at the provincial level to start uh, investing more heavily in quantum enterprises, including some companies that have spun off of university laboratories and are starting to commercialize a QKD or quantum cryptography, and really in efforts to build up a quantum industry and to start uh, making these technologies more available to banks and companies in China, even a quantum cell phone, uh, quote unquote, that it might start to be used, including potentially by soldiers on on the battlefield going forward. So there are, are ways in which uh, this combination of major investments from in the private sector and Alibaba, for instance, has decided to dedicate over $15 billion to investing in disruptive technologies, quantum computing among them, as well as this ramping up of government funding could be a major factor going forward. And I would just add that, uh, however, I don't think we should read too much into the aggregate levels of funding, including because a brute force approach, uh, such as pouring massive amounts of money into this field is inherently limited or may be constrained by the availability of talent. And China has also focused on has has recruited a number of leading quantum scientists and Pan Jianwei, the most prominent among them at the University of Science and Technology of China. A number of his students who have studied at top universities around the world are increasingly coming back to join in this research. And their active efforts to recruit uh, leading uh, researchers and scientists in this field. So I think really the ability to capitalize upon these resources will depend upon the availability of talent who can
0: carry this agenda forward. Now, you used the phrase earlier that uh, this is a marathon, um, so, so Q-Day may not be right around the corner. This is a long-term uh, issue, but it is a race and there are huge payoffs to whoever gets there first on many of these kinds of technologies. Um, China is clearly investing a lot. They're uh, increasing their human capital. They have a focused strategy to move forward here Um, Talk to me about what the United States should be doing. You have a lot of concrete recommendations in this report, which is great. Uh, We we don't have to go through all of them, but at a high level, what do you see as the steps you'd like to see the United States take to remain competitive?
1: So, I think I'd start by saying in many respects, the US has been a leader in this field, and I believe we can remain one if we are active in taking steps to uh, enhance our own competitiveness here. And it's encouraging to see, and in some respects, this report has been overtaken by events insofar as the House just uh, passed the National Quantum Initiative Act uh, just today, I believe. So uh, there are initiatives moving forward, and it's quite exciting and encouraging to see that uh, this is this is progressing and, we're, and there is greater attention on this, but I'd say some of the recommendations I ha- highlight in the report and those, some of which are included in this uh, ongoing legislation as well as a focus on at a basic level, greater investments in long-term research and development, recognizing that there is quite active commercial activity in the space, but uh, long-term research will require more sustained funding over years, if not decades to come, and as well as a cross uh, an interdisciplinary approach that brings together different kinds of expertise that may not arise in universities today, so certainly supporting research and development is a core should be a core priority going forward, and also I would add to that uh, STEM education, making sure that uh, there's a robust pipeline of talented researchers moving into this field. And policy options there might include greater support for scholarships for students who want to pursue PhDs and applied research in in this field going forward, or a wor- general workforce development given some of the specialized requirements of even developing a laboratory capable of working with such a sensitive equipment and technologies and add to that as well uh i think it's also important to foster greater public private partnership and i believe the bill and several initiatives being contemplated would would look to do so more robustly given that the private sector does seem to be very much at the forefront in quantum computing today and i think opportunities for leveraging greater synergies there and to that i would add beyond a overall focus on competitiveness it is important to start to evaluate the future risks of quantum computing to our information technology ecosystem, as I mentioned, by starting to think about options for post-quantum cryptography and the challenges of implementation, and potentially as we're thinking about the inherent uncertainties of these technologies and their trajectory, one thing that could be done is development of indicators and warnings or potential bellwethers for how we know whether uh, the pace at which these technologies are developing and whether one may arrive... A quantum computer, for instance, could arise unexpectedly. So I think uh, thinking about metrics and signs of how this is progressing and a realistic impression of what the capabilities are, including in technologies like quantum radar, where it is quite uncertain, even among the scientists I've spoken to, whether this is uh, feasible in the near term or much less likely. And I think going forward, uh, clearly these technologies... Beyond enormous commercial applications, will also have a range of potential military applications, and the Chinese military and defense industry are actively exploring this. One Chinese strategist even claimed that the impact of quantum technology could be analogous to that of nuclear weapons and future warfare. That may may reflect a degree of over-enthusiasm about the potential, and I think too soon to say whether this could be a new military revolution of sorts, but I think there are are a number of ways in which quantum technology could start to be leveraged for military purposes, number of which uh, the US military and research establishment are starting to explore, but uh, certainly if you look at what the Chinese military is doing there, certain uh, Chinese submarine designers claim that his future submarines will be equipped with quantum navigation to enable independence from uh, Beidou, or in the US case, uh, independence from GPS would be a valuable uh, attribute as well, and uh, potentially quantum sensing, again, could be in remote sensing to enhance detection and surveillance capabilities. Even claims of quantum communications could function underwater and enable secure communication to and from submarines. So I think a range of potential military applications, some of which may be further from fielding than others, but I think a lot of interesting, uh, interesting directions to explore there.
0: Well, thanks, Elsa. An um, incredibly detailed uh, report that you put together, and very balanced in putting together, um, you, know, you know, clearly articulating the claims that you're seeing uh, Chinese researchers make. But also, one of the things that you do in this report that I really appreciate is balancing that with some some sort of measured evaluation of uh, some skepticism that many times, um, you know, where they actually are. And and I do appreciate that it's incredibly valuable throughout this report. Um, I'm sure that this will be. Uh, very well-read um, by policymakers who are interested in understanding what China is doing and what the United States needs to do uh, to stay ahead in quantum technologies. Again, that's Elsa Kania with her new report, Quantum Hegemony, China's Ambitions and the Challenge to U.S. Innovation Leadership. And you can find the full report online at cnas.org quantum. Uh, thank you, Elsa, for joining us.
1: Thank you.